0: Okay, everybody, welcome back to the Hunt Harvest Health Podcast. I am your host, Doc Hillary. Um I am really excited today. I have a guest slash contributor slash maybe co-host, I want to say. <laughs> um, you've all heard her before. Uh, I think you've only been on the podcast once, Emily, or twice. I don't know. Way back. Really, really bad on my part not to have you on more. But you are a frequent contributor to the website. You are the one who puts all the recipes on the website because I'm a slacker on that anymore. (laughs) You've written multiple blogs. You and your um, soon to be husband, Joe, have written many blogs on our website. You guys are a young, fabulous couple who we met shortly after moving to Montana, and you guys literally have kept our business alive. So I want everybody to give a big shout out to Emily because she. Uh, I could not have done the last five years without her. Now, that being said, as we grow and as we've gotten bigger, I literally got to a point where I was like, I am going to have no hair left on my head. Like my eyebrows are going to fall out. Like we're going to talk about stress today. Like literally for years, I feel like I've been living like that. And so Emily has been helping me, um, Emily with like orders and stuff, she's, she's starting to take over the emails for our supplement company. She is helping me manage my day. She, and, um, now I've asked her if she would like to be a partial co-host on this podcast to help kind of interview me and ask me questions because I feel like it's way easier to talk to a person, uh, when you know talking about health topics especially than it is to just talk to myself on a podcast and it's not very motivating for me I'm I like to talk to somebody so I asked her to do that and she of course like everything else I asked her to do she's puts a smile on her face and says yes let's do that and she's transformed my life because just in a few short short weeks she's organized my emails to the point where like I'm in total shock that, uh, how fast it was. And she comes up with lots of ideas. She's really stimu- you're, you know, stimulating me to think about ideas for the podcast. And, um, so Emily, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Hell. Thank you for all your kind words. Um, yeah, it's a, I'm just, I'm so grateful to, you know, have a small part in, you know, what you guys have been doing over the years. And um, I'm really excited to be here this morning talking with you because um, as I, and I know all the listeners, um, you know, feel that you have so many wonderful things that you can teach us all. And so it's going to be fun to kind of talk about stress and hormones this morning and, um, I know I'm going to learn a ton and I know that, you know, when everybody listens as well, they'll, they'll have the same feeling. So I'm really looking forward to it and excited to be back. Awesome. Well, <clears throat> the cool thing is em,
0: is that you are actually in the healthcare business. Um, maybe you can explain a little bit to people what you do. You also have a full-time job. So, you know, on top of all the amazing things that you do, I think the one thing you don't have right now is children. Mm -hmm. which you will someday, and we will probably lose you to the abyss motherhood (laughs) and not having enough time in your day. But right now you don't have any children, uh, just your animals and your husband who I might say is probably, uh, you know, men sometimes can be children as well, but um, (laughs) yeah, you, so you have a little bit of that extra time, but tell us what you do in your real job and kind of what, what part of the medical care
1: field you're in. Mm -hmm. Sure. So, um, yes, I'm a speech language pathologist. So, um, I've been in a lot of different settings and worked with a lot of different populations, but, um, kind of found that my passion lies with pediatrics. So I work with kids primarily, um, speech and language uh, deficits and things like that. Um, I, over the last year, have fully transitioned to doing telemedicine. So um, I see all of my clients and patients online, which um, I feel like suits me really well, even though I did like that face-to-face kind of care. Um, I'm really, really uh, liking this. And so that's like my day to day, um, seeing, you know, many patients throughout the day. Um, and I, I really like what I do. It's, it, it, I work with a lot of great people and a lot of really fun kids and I love that population. Um, so yeah, it, it, I do have a little bit more time now, definitely without having kids in the mix. Um, and it, it it's really a blessing because then it gives me time to kind of get a little bit of my creative side out by helping you and just being even a little bit more involved with, you know, hunt harvest health stuff, because that has such a huge impact on our lives and has for years. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what I do. And a little bit about, you know, my professional. Well, (laughs)
0: last year at the summits, we had our first family camp and you were our child children's coordinator. So we had teenagers and then we had younger children mm-hmm. a lot of them had come with uh speakers their parents were speakers or whatnot but we had this this pretty good group of young children and so emily you you know you took it upon yourself to create all the um events and crafts and uh, activities for these young kids and you're just so suited for it i know Tiana, my youngest just loves you and like whenever she's around you she working with children. And you can tell that, you know, just from the summits and the stuff that you've done. And, and I also to give a shout out to you and Joe, you guys have been at most all of our summits and helped us. And um, it's, it's been great. So um, I'm excited to, to have you on here with me. And um, today I think what we should just do is we picked a topic based on a lot of questions that I get and just interest. And what we're going to do is I'm just going to have you shoot some questions to me and we can just chat about these, these topics. And, um, we might do this more frequently than not. And just so we can keep this podcast rolling and give people information. So, uh, the topic today is cortisol. And likely what's going to end up happening is this topic is going to turn into the topic of stress. Um, stress is a topic that we could talk about for hours, probably days and weeks. And uh, but I think I get a lot of questions about cortisol. People are very interested in wanting to know more about it and what it ha- you know how it's functioning in the body, but also uh, like what is it doing under stress and what is it doing to us? So I think you came up with some questions that we've seen regularly and Uh, Maybe we should just start there and
1: kind of go with that. Okay, sounds good. Cool. Yes, awesome. Yeah, I just kind of compiled a few questions that um you know, I thought I am interested about and I thought you know everybody must be as well. And this is such a prevalent um topic for everybody. So yeah, um I will just start off. So my first question, I thought it was a, a good kind of start to this topic. Um, I was hoping that you could just for the listeners explain what is cortisol and um also tying it into that cortisol awakening response as well. Okay. So yeah, cortisol
0: is a hormone um, that is produced by the adrenal gland. It's in a group of hormones called the glucocorticoids. Um, and it's kind of a big long words, but if you think of the first part of the word, it's glucose. So it has to do with glucose. Um, and it is produced in there's the adrenal gland are two little glands that sit on top of your kidneys. So you have one on each kidney. They're very tiny, like in a human, they're, I mean, so tiny. They're kind of like a marble. Um, and they're encased in a ton of fat that sits, that suet fat that sits on top of the kidney. We've talked about this and just even harvesting animals a lot at the summits and other things like, um, you know, where is the adrenal gland in the humans? It's on the kidney and in most other animals, it's in that same area. Um, So cortisol is produced by a part of the adrenal gland called the adrenal cortex. Um, And so the adrenal cortex is kind of the outer layer. There's two layers. And so it's, it's kind of the outer layer of the adrenal gland. And, um, and then you have a capsulated adrenal gland, then you have the cortex, then you have in the middle, you have what's called the medulla. And we can talk a little bit about also what the medulla produces because Probably get into that, or I can just say it here. You've got cortisol; it's it's produced by um, the adrenal cortex, and really, cortisol is involved in regulating metabolism. It's involved in your immune response, and it's it's really important. And probably what we know of it most is in the immune response or the stress response. Um, Also, the adrenal cortex, the same part of the adrenal gland, makes another group of hormones called the mineral mineral corticoids. And this would be like aldosterone. So aldosterone is involved in regulating salt and water balance in the body. So again, you can see how important this gland is in, in just regulating salt in your body. And when people have dysfunctions in aldosterone, we see problems with obviously salt um, regulation and water regulation in the body. So it's very important. And then this part of the adrenal, the cortex also makes some androgens. And so these are um, uh, sex, sex hormones. Usually uh, we, can, we, we classify it more with male sex hormones, but um, DHEA and testosterone. It makes more DHEA than testosterone DHEA is also what's called a pre-androgen. So you can convert from DHEA to testosterone um, in both men and women. But this part of the adrenal also makes some of your androgens. Um, The adrenal medulla, which is in the middle, this part of the adrenal gland makes what's called the catecholamines. And this is a group of, of hormones that we mainly call adrenaline and noradrenaline. And this is where the body has, um, the hormones that these hormones are secreted under the fight or flight response. And so a lot of people have heard that a lot of people in our community understand what that is. Right. Um, but, um, that fight or flight response from these catecholamines increases things like heart rate, blood pressure, respiratory rate. Um, it, it mobilizes energy stores in the body. And so um, as we know, you know, running from the bear requires a very specific set of things to happen in order to make that happen. But these are would be categorized more as acute stressors. So these are hormones that are secreted under acute stress. Um, Whereas cortisol is secreted, it's a byproduct after stress, and it's secreted more in long term stress. So how I would categorize that is that you need the catecholamines like adrenaline and noradrenaline. Uh, let's say you're in a battle and somebody's coming at you and they're shooting at you. You have to produce those, those in order to have everything kick in so that you, in that acute phase, you can fight back. Then cortisol is produced after the fact to keep you like, now you have to make more weapons and you have to do all these things that are going to continue to be able to fight. That's what cortisol does. So I think a lot of people have this assumption that it's actually cortisol. I mean, you when you get this adrenaline secretion under acute stress, that fight or flight. Yes, cortisol does follow it, but it's not like cortisol is what's being produced to make you fight or flight. It's actually those catecholamines, and then cortisol is produced in order to keep you running. So let's say uh, you, you're running from the bear, and then I don't know you you got to run like 10 miles to get away from the bear. Well, those catecholamines are going to wear off really quick. So that's where cortisol kicks in. Cortisol now is going to make it so that you can keep running those extra 10 miles. Right. And it's going to do all the things that it does like, you know, regulate your metabolism and help you um, regulate that stress response a little bit better. So that's kind of the anatomy of where these hormones come from and what the adrenal gland does. Um, the adrenal gland also produces in women um well mainly after menopause it's where you produce your estrogen and it's mainly producing an estrogen called estrone which is the main postmenopausal estrogen and um and again it's producing testosterone and androgens so the postmenopausal woman is actually producing some estrogen she's producing it from her adrenal gland it's a very small amount And she's producing androgens, her testosterone stuff. So the ovary, but the ovary in reproductive women is making most of those, you know, most of her estrogen, most of her testosterone, but the adrenal gland is making her DHEA, some androgen. And then when she goes through menopause, the adrenal gland kind of takes over and we can talk about differences in male and men and women, but um, that's the anatomy of that. Um, so your second question was the cortisol awakening response. And I think this is something a lot of people don't, haven't ever heard of. It's more of a medical lingo that we use when we're testing cortisol. Um, and maybe I should chat about that real quick, like testing cortisol, uh, typically when you do serum, they're looking at there's different times of the day. So cortisol typically kind of the circadian rhythm of cortisol is its highest in the morning. And really after 30 minutes to 60 minutes after waking, it starts going down for the rest of the day. So your cortisol is highest in that morning. And that is what's called the cortisol awakening response. Um, when you're doing a serum test, if you went on first thing in the morning, most people are not going and getting their blood drawn 30 minutes after waking up. So Hmm. this can be difficult, but for serum levels, which would be blood levels, Um, you'd want to get a morning draw and there's a range there that you want it to be in. And typically that range is going to change if you got your cortisol drawn in the middle of the day versus the afternoon day, those reference ranges are going to be different. And so obviously with serum, you want to fall within the reference range. Now, personally, and, and the way we tested at work and the way we've been testing for years is that cortisol awakening response is done through saliva. You can also now do it through urine and that's through the Dutch test, um, And a lot of women who are older and are trying to figure out their hormones, they've maybe heard of the Dutch test. It's become a lot more popular. These are urine metabolites and um, it tests can test all of your steroid hormones um, in the urine. And that's because you produce hormones and then you pee the metabolites. Your body breaks those hormones down into metabolites and has to eliminate them. And you eliminate those metabolites through the kidney. And so the cortisol Um, you can see how much metabolite is in the urine, and then that can help you determine how much actual cortisol production was probably going on in the body. So when we test these metabolites, and also you can do it in saliva for cortisol. Um, When you test this, you're going to take five collection. You're going to take five collections over the day because you're going to think about those different times of the day with cortisol, waking 30 minutes after, 60 minutes after, later in the afternoon and then before bed. And then also people that struggle with insomnia will, will do like a collection in the middle of the night. So if you wake up in the middle of the night, you take your collection then, and then they average all those together. And then they pull this like, and then they look at each one for a day and they create what's called this cortisol awakening response. And it gives us a diagram of basically how you were secreting cortisol on that day. Um, and it gives the, a- pretty good predictor over time of what your cortisol is doing. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting because, um, there's lots of different patterns that can happen, but the typical pattern is we have a reference range for that person and we want that person to fall within the reference range. So we want you to wake up, um, you know, cortisol, uh, secretion is stimulated by stress and <clears throat> going back to a little bit more of anatomy is that the brain, um, is there's two hormones in the brain. One is produced by the hippocampus, CRH, which then tells the pituitary, just to create a hormone called um, ACTH. And then ACTH, says to the adrenal, it's time to make cortisol. Now this happens with any type of stress. The brain perceives stress and stress is even like waking up in the morning. Light, we, we hear a lot about light, getting light in the morning now, that's kind of a big thing getting the stimulation in the eyes, that photomodulation, that's going to stimulate cortisol production, right? Mm-hmm. So normally, especially when you live here in Montana in the summer, it gets light at 4:30 or whatever, five, you like, wake up, right? Your body gets a signal. There's other hormones going on there too. Thyroid hormone is high in the morning. All these things are going up. They're stimulating you to wake up. And then within 30 minutes, your cortisol is going to go up and peak And then it's just going to slowly over the day go down. So that's a normal, that's a normal thing. So the body perceives getting out of bed in the morning as stress and other neurotransmitters kick in like histamines, um, what we call excitatory neurotransmitters. They stimulate the brain, they get you out of bed. And, um, so that cortisol awakening response is really important. And one of the reasons it's really important is because you need that rise in the morning to get your day going. And if you can't get your day going, there's a lot of problems that people suffer with, right? Like not being able to get out of bed in the morning, um, having to drink three cups of coffee in the morning to get going, um, feeling exhausted 30 to 60 minutes after you wake up, like you're still not going. Uh, mm-hmm. That is sort of a sign that there's probably something wrong with the HPA axis, which is that hypo hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal axis and your cortisol secretion is either not appropriate, meaning it's not going up enough, or it's going up too high. So you're getting, some people are waking up with anxiety. They're waking up in the middle of the night too soon. They're getting a cortisol rise too soon. They're waking up with anxiety and then they get this really high spike and then they Mm -hmm. crash boom. And then the rest of the day is just trash. So there's lots of different, um, or you wake up in the morning, you get absolutely no cortisol rise. You go through your entire day at what we call a flat line. And then at night, your cortisol spikes up. Now at night, cortisol needs to go down because melatonin, which is secreted by the pineal gland, has to go up. And if your cortisol is high, your melatonin will not go up. And I think this is also one of the things about electronics and computers, and it's really changed our ability to work. Obviously we have electric lights and so we have computers. We can work all night long. We can work 24 hours a day, you know, back in the old days, like you had candles and you didn't have a computer. I was gonna like, what did you do with yourself? You know, read books, I don't know, write music, um, work or go to bed, but you were in the dark and now we are constantly stimulated. So it's very common for people to have this uh, what we call reversed curve where their mornings are brutal and they can't sleep at night because now their cortisol is high and they can't get their melatonin secretion and then they can't fall asleep you know it's the whole second wind thing mm-hmm. and then or they're secreting cortisol at night when they're sleeping and they're waking up and they're stressed out and i think also that's part of the hamster on the wheel you know people will say all the time i i have insomnia because i wake up thinking about things my brain does not stop so um, but that's kind of how cortisol is done. So when you want to get your cortisol tested, that's, that's how we would do it. And we would be looking for that cortisol awakening response. And obviously there's lots of compl- there's lots of different patterns and, and, um, yeah. And a multitude of symptoms that people
1: can have, uh, related to what their pattern would be like. So
0: mm-hmm. does
1: that answer it? It does. Yes, that was great. Um, I think it was really interesting um, how you explained um, back towards the beginning of it being more of a long term response, because I think that is a common misconception around this is that it is the immediate fight or flight. And I think that just makes so much more sense with um, understanding the functionality of it and the implications on on people be, when you understand it as it's secreted long-term and how you see effects from that, um, you know, cyclically through your day and how that can make you feel in the morning and at night. And just, I think that differentiation really, um, for me listening helped to understand the process a little bit better. And yeah. I think I might have not understood that quite so clearly until you explained it.
0: Yeah. And I think that we have a connotation of the word stress as negative. That's mm-hmm. another thing. Um, and I think that's because we do have so much negative stress in our society, but mm-hmm. stress is actually a normal thing that has to happen. Like I said, just to get you out of bed in the morning, your brain has to perceive a stress, whether that's the light is coming into the room now. And that is a stress. Um, there's good stress and there's bad stress right? Just like um, exercise. Exercise is an excellent way to manage your cortisol. Mm -hmm. It is an excellent uh, way to manage your mood. It's an excellent way to manage your blood sugar and stuff, but too much. And it's a stress, right? Exercise is a stress. It's a positive stress that the body needs in order to um, uh, appropriately use these hormonal systems. But when you exercise too much, right, like you over-exercise, you are pushing yourself to the max. Uh, That's going to become a negative stress because over time, right, like let's just think about cortisol. If you're consistently running 10 miles every time you go out, I'm just using 10 miles, but I do see people doing this. And like Instagram is a great place if you want to go see how hard people are pushing themselves all the time. And there is even people in our communities doing this. Um, And it's quite amazing. And I think people want, there's minorities of people that can do this. A lot of it I think does come down to everybody's different. Everybody's able to handle stress in a different way. And we even see that in animal studies is that there's some animals that are just super resilient And they also have kind of this mental fortitude that the feedback loop is that their mental game is super strong and it pushes them through a lot of things that probably they should have stopped a while ago, but they can push beyond that pain signal. So, you know, like long distance running is one of these, um, ultra marathons is another one, you know, triathlons, that's another one like, um, I don't know, there's so many things out like climbing Mount Everest, like things that take a massive amount of physical past capacity, and also take a huge amount of mental um, fortitude, you have to be able to go at some point, your body will say no, and you have to be able to push beyond that mm-hmm. with your mental game. And so there's some people that can really do that. But when I see when I see it, the first thing I think of is just what is that? thing that was once a positive stress, has it become a negative stress in a way in which now these mechanisms of cortisol and chronic cortisol production over time, what does that do to the other systems like the metabolic system and the immune system? And I can just use my own experience. My, my brother was an Olympic athlete and he spent from the age of 15 to his mid twenties or a little later. He was a high level athlete and he was performing at a, at an Olympic level and the stress that was on him on a daily basis to physically perform his duty. He was a cyclist and a velodrome rider and, um, long distance. And he, he, he was so good at it. I mean, when he was in his sport, he was kicking ass and taking names. So how he made it to the Olympics hard work mental fortitude you know at the age of 15 he didn't even finish high school he was living at the Olympic training center so he he was pushing himself beyond his pain boundaries he was learning um he he taught himself basically how to overcome the stress signals that come on when you're going you're pushing beyond what would be considered just positive stress and i think anybody at that level that's what they're doing Mm -hmm. um you know that's why we look up to these people. That's why we we idolize these people in a lot of ways. You know, in culture, we idolize the people that are the outliers, um, and there's a reason for that because most people look at that and go, "God, my I'm lazy ass. And my life is boring. And I go to work every day. Like I'm not running, you know, 30 miles a day, or I'm not biking. You know, my husband, my my husband, my brother was biking." sometimes hundreds of miles a day, every single day for years, traveling the world in competitions, all of that started slowly turning into negative stress over many years. So what we, but when I get back to the systems is that a very common thing that you see in elite athletes is chronic illness. They have chronic respiratory infections. They have chronic bronchitis they get all, they get every little cold and flu that comes around. Um, and it's almost just accepted. I mean, I can't tell you how many races my brother did with literally like bronchitis and mm-hmm. probably borderline pneumonia. Mm-hmm. How many times he would go to a world championship or, you know, Olympic, Olympic um, trials and end up in bed for two weeks after with a massive, horrible, uh, cold, uh, flu, whatever. And it's because excessive cortisol secretion suppresses immune function. So initially, it improves immune function because it says to your immune system, hey, we got stuff we need to fight. We're having some stress. Let's come in. Let's do our job. But prolonged cortisol secretion inhibits the immune system. And we see this with steroid drugs like um, prednisone. Prednisone is a high-dose steroid that we give to people to rapidly suppress inflammation, right? And so in the short term, prednisone is a miracle drug because there's all kinds of conditions where you have this like out of control inflammation. And if you don't get control of it, this person could be in serious place. So you get on the prednisone, it decreases your inflammation, which is a steroid. It's a steroid and it's affecting cortisone. You know, it's affecting cortisone. It's a hydrocortisone is one of the medication names and um, but over time when you see people doing long-term prednisone they get side effects and a lot of those side effects don't go away right mm-hmm. It changes your body chemistry changes the way you look it makes you put fat in places you shouldn't be putting fat in and it changes your immune system so people that are on prednisone the reason you put them on it for short term and you cycle it if you need to is because it suppresses the immune system It's suppressing that inflammatory signal that's saying, hey, there's something wrong. Send the immune system to cause this inflammatory reaction. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, over a long time, you can get these cortisol problems. So I just think that um, there's a happy medium, some people, and also I think it has to do with your recovery routine. So if you're constantly going and you're never able to recover or you're not do-diligently doing the things that you need to recover, that long-term cortisol production can have more effects on it. So um, yeah, I think that we do have this concept that cortisol is all about acute stress. It's really about prolonged stress and it's there to help you get out of bed in the morning. It, it helps you pull glycogen for energy into the bloodstream and it, it immobilizes your muscles from taking up glycogen. So it's helping you have blood sugar. So this whole thing about fasting and, you know, intermittent fasting and fasting in the morning, well, when you get up, you, you get that rise to cortisol and that may allow you to do your workout fasted and give you more energy, right? Pull Mm -hmm. that blood sugar that you didn't, you've been fasting overnight, pull that blood sugar from the liver, give you blood uh, sugar into the blood that you Mm -hmm. can use for energy. But um, yeah, so anyways,
1: that would be that. (laughs) Yeah. Great. I think that's just so important to um, kind of highlight that the goal should not be no stress and there's good stress and there's bad stress. And I think that especially nowadays with the influence on social media, seeing, like you said, these people that, you know, you can watch them all the time and see what they're doing and make yourself feel that you're not doing enough. Um, But it's so important to kind of figure out for you as an individual where that, like you said, happy medium between, you know, your absolute hardest pushing, you know, pushing your boundary line in between that and like the minimal effective dose that term of what's the least I can do to have a benefit while still being resilient and building building this fortitude and exercising and being stimulated in ways that we individually need. So um, yeah, I think that makes sense and is really interesting about how you said those people that kind of um, exist as outliers, what we see long term from that kind of spike in cortisol and that sort of t- kind of pushing your body to those limits constantly. So I think that was really, really good information. And I think that's a good segue into um, the next question I had for you, which is sort of what is the difference that we see in cortisol in men versus cortisol in women and just processing those different stress hormones differently in that way? Right. Okay.
0: So this is kind of a complex thing because I I think that um, a lot of the research has been done on men. Mm -hmm. Um, even like intermittent fasting and all that. And I mean, I can't quote the research right now, but the books that I've read and kind of the mentors that I follow, because I do a lot of, I do a ton of hormone therapy and I work with men, middle-aged men, and I work with middle-aged women. And we know that stress typically men and women are even different in the way that they manage stress. And, um, you know what's interesting is that uh so men we this whole idea of the cortisol cascade like i talked about earlier like you gotta fight right you're fighting back whatever and then you're secreting cortisol to help you go make more weapons into like this long-term fight you know you're doing that well what's interesting is that um because most of the research was done on males and male rats um, when they started researching cortisol function they found that females we're adapting a little bit differently with cortisol and they were not necessarily going into fight or flight, but women, I mean, we do have the same physiological effect of adrenaline on us. We go into fight or flight, but women, as far as the long-term gains are, they are actually more built to, um, what's the term befriend and, um, and to bring groups together. So women do better. Men seem to do okay with this, like, I'm going to fight till the end. And then I'm going to be a single person who's just going to take on the world. And I'm just going to go do this. Well, they figured out that women don't necessarily adopt that same way. Women, how they try to manage long-term stress is they try to befriend the enemy and they try to go. And so it's more of a protection mechanism to protect their children and to create a community around them that's going to be safe. And uh, whereas men will maybe run away or fight, Mm -hmm. women will try to befriend. And um, we see this a lot, even throughout history, is that typically the women were the ones being like, you know, warring tribes. They were taking women. They were taking the women and the women were going into the other tribe and they were just kind of acclimating into the other tribe. And then they were marrying a guy that kidnapped them and having his kids. And that was her stress mechanism to deal with this stress, right? Like if she fights back and she doesn't try to befriend this guy, she may lose her life or her children might lose their life. And I, I think this also plays into some of just the physiological differences in men and women. And also it plays into these hormones, our sex hormones. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the big hormones, there's two big hormones that play into this and one is prolactin and one is oxytocin. And these are hormones that are produced under bonding and protection. So men, in in all people, um, especially like after a baby's born, sex hormones drop and prolactin goes up. Uh, Prolactin inhibits reproduction. Um, so if prolactin's high, testosterone's gonna be low. Um, and but it's helping you to, you know, you're going from a new father, you're going from a from a dude who didn't have kids, and then overnight you have a baby. The body actually instinctually just knows what it needs to do, and it goes from being a reproductive person now to a protector. Now you're a father, and anybody and any woman. Who's how to baby and witness the change that their spouse goes through after the birth. It's, it, they go through a change too, just like we do. They go from like, you know, not caring about anything else except for themselves to all of a sudden, I mean, they are the ones that make sure that, that car seat is in right. They're like, they're baby proof in the whole house. They're like, you know, they become protectors and that's what nature intends us to be. Now, women, our job is obviously to protect. So our prolaction goes up, but we also have a really high dose of oxytocin. And oxytocin is the bonding hormone. It helps you to produce milk. It helps you to take that child and bond with that child the minute it's born. And you know, women that don't produce enough oxytocin, they don't bond. And this is where we see a lot of problems. And um, men don't have oxytocin to the levels that women do. And so they think that this may be part of also that long-term strategy of befriending because that oxytocin, makes me like you even if you're a pain in my ass it makes me give you some sort of love right like a baby is hard work A baby is like takes everything from you but having that oxytocin makes you want to give everything to that baby because you are there you 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 protect it and now you know two moms start sleeping with one eye open for years they're the ones that are staying up all night worried about their kids you know they're they're the ones getting up with the baby. So oxytocin and prolactin also play into this. And they, I think that that's the difference in this long-term cortisol secretion is that women are more wired to adapt to stressful situations in the long-term and try to make the best out of it. And because we're more community oriented, it's just part of who we are. So we are probably in the long-term better able to manage stress long-term than Mm -hmm. men are. Does that make sense? It does, especially in social situations. Now, um, the interesting thing though, is women are more likely to report that they experience stress and than men do. Um, and this may be because of that mechanism is that we can handle so much more stress than men can, but we experience it much more powerful. So you've probably had this experience with a man where like, he should seem like he's more stressed out, but he's not. Mm-hmm. And then the woman is like massively stressed out and she's worrying about every little detail and she's over analyzing and over obsessing and she's OCD. Now they're definitely men like this. I'm not saying all men are like this. There's people like this, but men, women tend to um, do that. And this may be because of estrogen and this may be because of that oxytocin right? And, and that um, thing, but women do report feeling more anxious, more overwhelmed, and, and they feel more stressed. Um, I also think, again, just based on estrogen and oxytocin, I think women quote unquote, feel more. They feel their emotions more, mm-hmm. whereas men may not be feeling their emotions the same in their body. And so they don't, ex- they don't express stress the same way women do, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And also because of that, women are more likely to have more stress-related health problems. um, And they're more vulnerable to uh, those negative health uh, effects of stress. Um, So one of the interesting things about depression in our culture, which is rampant, uh, which I think if everybody could kind of understand how like your hormones are working in your body maybe we'd be less stressed, we'd be less hard on ourselves. I don't know. But um, long-term cortisol produ- production, like we talked about, like the, the long-term game, uh, if you have excessive amounts of cortisol being secreted over time, you will be depressed. And that's because your body will be saturated with this hormone That um, it's kind of like, it's, it's depressing your immune system. It's changing the neurochemistry in your brain and it's affecting your sex hormones. So in the production of steroid hormones from cholesterol, again, what do we love to do today? Suppress everybody's cholesterol and all your steroid hormones come from cholesterol. Mm -hmm. So you've got cholesterol that makes steroid hormones and then the downstream products, and then it makes progesterone, steroid hormones, and, and then it makes DHEA and it makes the testosterone and it makes all your estrogens. So if you've got a lot of stress, your sex hormones go down. Why? Because it's got to go to cortisol. So then you have all this cortisol production, but your stress hormone, your sex hormones are down like your testosterone, your estrogen, these hormones that actually make you happy. They make you who you are. Like women who go through menopause and have low estrogen, they have a lot of depression. Some of them, that's one of the main signs and men who have low testosterone and low estrogen, low estrogen, they have depression. Actually, my men with low hormones, who also have a low estrogen, they're the most depressed. So you can see how this long-term cortisol that you're, you're doing to yourself is affecting the sex hormones, which then is affecting like how they're functioning in the brain. And then you, you, you get more depressed. And I think women, because of our circadian hormonal rhythm, it's just, And the way our estrogen is over our lifespan and the way it changes, we have more susceptibility to being affected by this long-term cortisol production, right? Um, Also, there's some research that women have different stress responses. So that goes back to the tendon, it's tendon befriend. That's what I forgot before. So if you're under stress, you seek out uh, social support. You seek out nurturing from others. Who and it usually always initiates counseling and in couples therapy? Women. Mm-hmm. Who is the one taking the children to the doctor mainly? Women, right? Who consumes most of the healthcare dollar? Women. Now, I would beg to differ. Men probably consume most of the acute healthcare dollar. They end up with the cardiovascular disease, the, you know, the car accidents, the uh, massive cardiac events like these kinds of things right but over time women go to the doctor more they take their children to the doctor more and in a stressful situation they are going to benefit from um the tend and befriend and if they don't have that if they don't have a community if they don't have support supportive uh partners if they don't have outlets what starts to happen they have lots of depression, they have lots of anxiety, and they have an increased chance of cardiovascular disease. So again, tend and befriend is kind of our mechanism for stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and then let's see women. What else? I think part of it too, is just because of the gender of women is that we deal with more stressful events such as, um, you know, discrimination, maybe sexual harassment in the past. Work-life balance is off. Um, we have a ton of family responsibilities that I beg to differ men don't have. And any man who wants to fight me on this, let's go go for it because I am a highly educated woman with uh, lots of goals and desires, and uh, done a lot with my life. But after I had children and I have a home, I do a lot of that work. I you know I mean Ryan does he's a 50 50 parent he does dishes he does laundry he does things there's things I can't do that Ryan does you know Um, and there's things I don't want to do that Ryan does but I would say as far as just the responsibilities put on me having a job as well it's probably higher Mm -hmm. and a lot of that again is based on having children and just the instinctual need to be Tending, befriending, nesting, keeping everything in order and organized. Mm-hmm. And I will say that I think uh, we—I I see it all the time. Uh, uh, I mean, in women patients, if their space is unorganized and it's a crap storm and there's stuff everywhere and it's dirty, like women sometimes cannot go to bed if there's dishes in the sink. And their husband will be like, "What is wrong with you? Chill out. It's no big deal. It's just a fork in the sink." Mm-hmm. That need for her to have control of her environment, to feel safe, to have organization, because her brain is firing on lots of different levels all the time that a man's isn't. It's just the brain chemistry and the hormonal chemistry that we have. So if she feels like something's not done, her space is not safe, she's going to keep secreting that cortisol. <laughs> and then she stresses herself out, right? And then she's obsessive. Mm -hmm. And then she's driving everybody crazy. And I think all women, we have a little bit of a component of this. I'm totally guilty of it. I can't tell you how many times Ryan's told me like, dude, you don't have to clean that right now. And I'm like, I can't relax until it's clean. I can't, I can't do my work if there's dishes in the sink and there's laundry all over the floor and it drives me crazy. So, um, that's another thing I think to women, the difference that we have, but definitely our estrogen. And then we have different cycles through life. So, puberty, perimenopause, reproductive years, and postmenopause, very different times in women's lives. And also the estrogen is going to dictate how stressy we are.
1: Anyways, that was a long answer to that question. It was a complex question. (laughs) I think it was great. And it's so obvious at at how complex of of an answer it has to be. Um, And I know you've only just scratched the surface in in that response. So um, I think in kind of wrapping up today's conversation, this would be a great opportunity for you to highlight um, some really exciting things that are coming up Um, in just a couple of weeks. You're going to be leading a couple of webinars um, for women and men. So the the women's um, one at the end of May is the, uh, the hormones through the lifespan so that's geared towards women and then the men one being the men's health webinar so I'll kind of give you the opportunity to chat about how those are going to be and, and let people know what they can expect for this.
0: yeah you know it's really interesting as I get so many questions and dms and emails from people and just based on my medical liability you know I can't be like answering people's complex medical situations in an email. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, healthcare is way more complicated than that anyways, because everybody is really different. And just even here talking about cortisol and stress, you know, we all have different things that are affecting us. Um, Even stress just being one small thing of it. But um, I've had tons of requests to do, you know, like classes and do all that. And I'm, I'm, my goal here is that I am working towards this. And my friend, Tana Grenda, she's amazing. She does tons of classes and she does tons of women's work. And she and me are pretty close. And she's always has me. She has lately had me talk with her for um, groups and people just are like, okay, Dr. Hamley Hillary is my favorite speaker. Like I learned so much just in two hours. And Tana's always like, why are you doing this stuff mm-hmm. on your website? Like I, I'm like, I I don't know. And I think it comes back to the stress. I, I think it comes back to the overwhelm of everything that I have going on in my daily life between my clinical practice, my businesses with my husband, the podcast, and my children and just having a life and being able to exercise and then have time to myself and read books and do the things that I love and spend time with my friends you know, and I find that I don't always have any time to do anything except just get through my day. And I know so many people feel like that, especially women, our plates are like freaking overflowing, mm-hmm. And to the point where we are getting this long-term cortisol secretion, and eventually then we're getting less cortisol because now we're burnout. And we didn't even talk about burnout, but, um, so I thought, you know, I think this would be a great avenue for me to be able to share and to pick topics and to talk about it. And I really haven't done anything for women's health. Like I mainly talked about men's health for the last five years. And most of my patients are menopausal women in perimenopause. So I'm like, I'm talking about this. And so what I want to do with the webinar is the, the female, the women's webinar is just going to be, we're just going to kind of go over the the main hormones that we deal with in in our lifespan and how they change through the lifespan for women. It's not going to be like, uh, I've only got two hours. So as you can see, two hours goes by really fast. We've only touched on cortisol and we've been talking almost an hour. Mm -hmm. This is how in depth these things, but I want to touch on these hormones, cortisol as well, thyroid as well, which is really big for women and how they correlate with your sex hormones through different stages of your life. And then I want to give people a time to ask questions because people ask me these questions through DM and email, and it's very difficult for me to answer. So this is a better platform for me to answer those questions. And then the men's health is going to be, yes, kind of the same topics, but we're also going to talk a little more about metabolic and vascular health, which does play in a lot for men and metabolic. I mean, like insulin and just over time, because men do suffer from cardiac events women do too of course that kills more women just like it kills men but uh those are kind of topics that I see in my practice so we're going to talk more you know the hormones and that kind of thing and my plan is that in these um, my plan is to grow this and also have like a mastermind group so have groups where I'm actually working more one-on-one with patients like in a group setting I've been in clinical care now for 16 years And it's really rewarding, but I am really being drawn in my life to do more group work. And I think that's because I am a middle-aged woman and I am in this tend and befriend period of my life where I realize that I have lost a lot of my community over the years, just working and raising a family and trying to keep things together. And as I've got getting older and having a hormone transition myself, I've been through all of these stages that I'm going to talk about. I mean, uh, I'm not just talking out, you know, I'm not a 20 year old girl talking about all this. Like I know it, like I've actually lived these life stages. So I've experienced my own journey. And I think because I'm a woman and I need community, I think this is a great way to start initiating that and then allowing me to work with people in a group setting. Um, and then I'm also uh, doing a women's retreat in September here in Bozeman, which I have not talked about yet. And I will be giving more details on that later this month. But those I'm trying to manifest these things in my life that I think I've been thinking about in the, that hamster wheel in the back of my head for years now. And I just haven't had the time or I haven't taken the time. And um, so I'm offering these webinars as just a way to educate and also for people to ask their questions, because that's really important. Um, and if you come into the webinar, you can ask your questions. We will also record it. So if you sign up for the webinar and you can't be there for it, we will um, offer the recording to you, et cetera. And you can have a chance to ask a question um, if you sign up for it. And I will try to answer it in the webinar as well, If even if you're not there. Um, the other thing is I am charging for these. People are, I think, sometimes like, what you're charging. There's so much free information out there. I totally understand. And if you can't afford to pay, let me know. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll work something out with you. Like I've done a lot of stuff for free over the years. I mean, you know, we've, we've put out a ton of content and I've been on a million podcasts and the podcast is my free platform. Um, but if you want to support me and this business and me to continue to share this information, unfortunately, time is really, really valuable in my life. And so it's not expensive. I don't think you can use the code stealthy and you can get a discount. Um, And it also shows to me the people that are actually wanting to take active steps in their life, because that's another thing I've learned. You know, when you're young, you want to help everybody. Everybody needs your help, everybody. And then you realize you can't help everybody. And if you just keep trying to help everybody, you will... Your cortisol will be in the tank and you'll be in bed depressed because you don't have any energy. And so what I've learned is um, money, money is an exchange of energy and there's people that value that. And if it calls to you at that time, that will be the value that you instill in yourself. And it also helps to give myself value that I'm providing something that then I can, you know, continue to do and I see value. And then that helps me further my dream of wanting to work with people in group settings. So those are the two things that I will be doing. May 23rd is the men's and May 24th is the women's and they're both from six to eight mountain standard time. So you can go to the website under programs. They're there. I and mean, then we'll have a link in the show notes to it, but that was kind of a long explanation is what I'm doing. I feel like there's so many long explanations. <laughs> I'm really bad at short explanations. I <laughs> no,
1: no, that's, that's great. Yeah, I, um, I know I'm looking forward to these and I know that, um, oh, I just know the information you're going to share is, is just going to be so beneficial to so many people. I'm just, you know, thinking about what we've just talked about in the last, you know, going on an hour now and. Just, you have so many um, wonderful insights um, from your education and your own personal experiences. And I know that that's going to be carried over into these upcoming webinars and um, the women's retreat that's going to be happening this fall
0: Well, here's, here's the other thing is I get a lot of the comments like my, like Ryan, for example, you know, I like to listen to these science podcasts and STEM podcasts and, you know, I'll take Huberman, for example, the dude's a genius. Mm -hmm. He's got the biggest, one of the biggest podcasts in the world. Uh, because people are hungry for this information. They want to know the intricacies and the ins and outs of these systems that we live with as human beings. But there's a large population of people that a lot of that stuff just goes over their head. They Mm -hmm. start listening to it and they get into it and they're just like, I don't know what he's talking about, what's going on. And it's, it can be, um, I mean, I think Huberman's done a great job because he's kind of dumbed down for people where they actually can. And he's brought great experts on and and stuff, but he's still very scientific. And if you listen to one of his two or three long hour podcasts, you gotta take some notes. You gotta turn your brain on. You gotta start focusing on, you you know, it takes you days to listen to it so you can actually absorb what he's saying. So for me, I really want to just give actual, like real life advice and make it so that, Everybody can maybe understand it. That's applicable to their life,
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: and that's what Ryan always says to me. Like, this is too complicated. I don't want to listen to this. Like, this is going over my head. Mm-hmm. And so, if it's going over Ryan's head, and he's married to me, I'm always like, well, I should make this so that it people can get something valuable out of it without feeling like they are in a science class trying to even understand the lingo. Mm-hmm. And I, I look back at my previous podcast and I. I think, well, maybe I haven't been scientific enough. I haven't, I haven't quoted enough studies. I haven't done all this stuff where, cause a lot of the podcasts I listen to are like that. Physicians talking like that, mm-hmm. quoting studies, doing this, doing that. And then I realized like, but the population of people that I'm talking to are the average, everyday working blue collar person who mm-hmm. wants to listen to a good podcast and get some useful information. And that's what I'm trying to provide because yeah, I could go off on these tangents about all the medical intricacies, even like today's podcast might be complicated for some people. But my goal is to actually take that and make it useful so that you could go like, oh, that's what I'm doing. I'm tending and befriending. You know, oh, I'm running away from my stress because, or, oh, that maybe that's why my immune system's depressed because I'm overdoing it, right? Instead of just giving all these very fancy biochemical like explanations and then people just turn out they tune out because they one our brains are so full of stuff and our attention spans are really short <laughs> my attention span has gotten shorter mm-hmm. I, I I have a hard time sitting down and reading a book and not getting distracted whereas mm-hmm. I used before internet before the phone I could sit down and read a whole book in a freaking day Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, oh, I should do this. I should do that. Oh, I should look on Instagram. Oh, wait, I should highlight this. Oh, I should. And it's just distraction. So we are all consumed with that. So my goal with this podcast has always been to just make it usable stuff that's easy for everybody to grasp and maybe use in their life. So that's what these webinars will be like, too. They're not going to be there's science in there. We're going to talk about stuff but they're going to be applicable. They're going to be useful things that you can take into your life and use. And that's really become my goal as a physician. And that's what I try to do with my patients. Everything I try to explain to them is like, so that they can understand it. And that helps them actually follow through with their treatment plans. Because if you make things too complicated, the average person is just like, this is too overwhelming, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why um, I think that, You know, the conversational thing is the way I like it the best because it makes it easier for people to um, go, Oh, yeah, I get that. I feel that. So, anyways, I'm very excited to announce that I am going to be doing two health webinars this month in May. The reason I'm doing the webinars is a bunch of different reasons, but one is it's a great way to share a lot of information with people that actually care about it and want to learn, and it's an awesome time for you to ask your questions to me live. I get a lot of emails. I get a lot of DMs with medical questions and things I just really can't answer through an email or a DM, Um, and sometimes I just don't respond. I can't answer all those questions, and so the webinar is helpful in that I can give you valuable information on the topics that I'm going to talk about. You can ask your questions, and it also is a great time to connect with me and to learn more about how I can help you as a physician, uh, programs that I can offer, and some of the other things that I am moving forward and doing in my life. So the first webinar is going to be a men's health webinar. This is going to be held on the 23rd of uh, May, and that is a Tuesday night And uh, really, this webinar is going to cover a few different things about men's health. So obviously, we're going to be talking about and breaking down hormone health, uh, which I think is a big concern for a lot of men, and it should be. Um, But we're also going to talk about how your metabolic health, your vascular health, or your cardiovascular health, how that plays into your hormonal health. Remember, cardiovascular disease kills more men than any other condition uh, by far. And this week we had a very tragic event with a very dear friend of ours who was out actually training for a triathlon and doing really everything right. Um, He's been a Western Hunting Summit attendee. He was an original part of our train to hunt family, uh, Terry Hess. Um, He was training while he was training. He had a heart attack. So, um, you know, this is kind of a very pertinent topic right now in our life. And as we get older and realizing, you know, we're not young pups anymore. And I think as men get older, there can be a lot of disconnect with their health and how they're feeling and what signs to be watching for besides the classical signs that we think of with cardiovascular disease. But your hormones play into that, your stress plays into that, your metabolic health plays into that. And unfortunately, sometimes Um, Even when you are in the best of health, things can happen. So I just wanted to share more with men um, because I do treat a lot of men in middle age and, and, you know, uh, reproductive years and just helping them to understand and connect more with their health. So that's going to be May 23rd from 6 to 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. You can go to stealthyhunter.com and you can hit the nutrition tab at the top and that you'll see programs. Once you get to programs, just open that page up and you'll see all the programs that we've got going. And at the top, you'll see the webinar. So um, I will also have this link in the show notes, but the men's health webinar, May 23rd, would love to see you there. You can ask your questions and use the codes to healthy for 10% off. The second webinar is going to be a women's health webinar. And this one I have called um, hormones through the lifespan. So Women are obviously very different than men. We have similar yet completely um, opposite hormonal systems than men. And we have different lifespans. We have different hormonal lifespans within our own lifespan. So I'm going to be talking on May 24th from 6 to 8 p.m. as well to women. And this is going to include sex hormones. It's going to include cortisol, thyroid, insulin, all the hormones that kind of work together And then we're going to talk about some lifestyle interventions and things just to help you as you transition through different stages of your life. So this is open to reproductive women, perimenopausal women, and menopausal women. Also, if you cannot make the webinar, but you want to have it um, and hear the recordings, you can actually pay for it and you will get the recording even if you aren't there. And you can ask a question through email and I will try to answer it on the webinar for you. So. check both of these out at stealthyhuntercom slash nutrition and go to our programs. Yeah. Um, but thanks for being on and oh my gosh, we could do 10 of these a week now. Cause this I is know. so easy. Do you see how really? I can talk? I, <laughs> I have all this in my head and people are like, why don't you do more podcasts? And I'm like, but who am I going to talk to you? To talk about it. <laughs> you
1: know? Um, so thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that. And, uh, yeah, I, um, hopefully we'll be doing more of these and you can share more and, uh, hopefully make it, you know, kind of connect the dots for people and make it accessible and, um, continue to improve so many people's lives. Like I know that hunt harvest health has done over the years. So.
0: Oh, you're so sweet as always. (laughs) Emily. You're so sweet. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of stress and busy lives, I now have to go get orders done because so many wonderful people order product and uh, upward and onward. Okay. Well, let's talk next week. Okay. Okay. Have a good week.
1: You too. Bye. Bye.
0: It's the middle of May, and I wanted to give everybody a heads up that our our favorite company, Harvest Right Freeze Dryers, is having one of their biggest sales of the year. Uh, This is like their Black Friday sale, and it is $500 off a freeze dryer, and that also includes a premier pump, which is $795 value. So if you are interested in getting one of the best deals of the year on a freeze dryer, head over to our page at stealthyhunter.com partners to slash partners and you will see the banner for the harvest right freeze dryer and the may sale $500 off. So if you want your freeze dryer, go get it now. You've got a couple weeks left to slash partners. You can also check out all of our other partners that we work with right now, using those links, you can go through and save money, get discounts. And of course, you will continue to support this podcast.